the the NDEs, the near-death experiences that we're speaking about, they're not linear. So any of these stages can happen anytime, but I'm just creating this linear fashion for you in order to help you get a, a better idea. So we went through stage one. Stage one was, anyone here? Was um, the awareness, then the peacefulness, the sounds. Now we're going into some of the, maybe a, a little deeper here. And that is what we call the goof duck, G-U-F-D-A-K, which is the mental body double, the mental body double. So, and I apologize for the, the morbid graphicness of this, but as the, as the physical body lies lifeless, the person who's undergoing a near-death experience may feel like they're assuming another form. It could be something like a, a more refined, more translucent, uh, a non-material type of body. Every single human possesses both what we call a goof gas, which is G-U-F-G-A-S, a goof gas, which is a dense body, and a goof dock, which is an ethereal body. Every person has both, a dense body and an ethereal body. The dense body, the goof gas, that formation that we inhabit in this realm of existence is physical in both its shape and its form. It's very physical. The goof dock, the ethereal body, it's a more distilled, it's a more transparent version of the physical body. The ethereal body is the, the body's prototype. It's like a it's like a pre it's like a prefiguration that existed as a primordial form prior to the emergence of our physical bodies. The ethereal body, just follow me for a moment, can also be understood as a distinct, as a spiritualized, luminous configuration, which parallels the opaque physical form and holds together the consciousness and the body. Now, there are, there are a number of names that are used in Kabbalah for this ethereal body. Besides for the name that we used before, the goof dock, there's also times that it's referred, referred to as Chalukah uh, Durabanan, which is called uh, the garment of the sages. I'm just giving you some, some, some concepts here. Or um, as Malbush, which is a garment. Or Tselem, which is a very interesting idea, which is a shadow. Tselem could also mean an aura. 
or some just call it the spirit, the ruach, the spirit. An individual's relationship with the energy body or what maybe we can call the aura or the angelic-like double, so to speak, it's symbiotic and it's reciprocal. This means through that which the body expands and develops, there is a reciprocal or a symbiotic relationship with that in the ethereal and the part of the body that kind of lives a, a little beyond it, the aura. It's also sustained through life by the person's own behavior and mindset, which means you would think that it's kind of set up from life. It's not set up from life. It's, we, we don't believe in the Greek idea of fate. We only believe in destiny, which means your life and the choices that you make are going to have a direct impact on this ethereal part of ourselves, on the aura, on the angelic-like double of ourselves. Everything that you think, everything that we think, everything that we feel, everything that we do has a multi-layered and multi-dimensional effect. A mental manifestation or projected image is exuded and fashioned through every action each of us does. And sometimes things that we don't do. Positive vibrations emit positivity, while negative thoughts and actions generate negativity. Now, you're going to say, that's wonderful. Rabbi, did you start becoming a, a, a motivational speaker? Are you talking self-help here? The difference is Kabbalah says this is real, which means it's not like if you're positive, then you're going to exude positivity. And as a result, it's going to give you a positive mindset and you're going to end up being a more positive person. No, by being positive, you create positivity. Why? Because you have a dense body and ethereal body. Your dense body did a positive action and your ethereal body or your mental body double actually was able on a spiritual level to make that action a little more refined and bring that action to a different level. So your aura, I think we're going to have to decide a, a word. I'm just going to use the, the, um, the guftak, the ethereal body. So your ethereal body is now reciprocal to the positive action that you did. Mitzvot, actions that we do create a refined ethereal form. And while the inactions, the negativity that we do will do the opposite.
Got it? Questions? So, Rabbi, um, I don't know. Sorry, Lana, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just trying to wrap my head around what you're saying. So, you have to kind of be that whole person with like oneness. You can't just pretend in a way to be positive and it will bring positive um, results, right? You have to actually live it, you know, your mind, your body, your soul, like everything together. Is that what you're? I'm actually saying even on a, on a, on a greater level, when you live it, yeah, it creates it. Okay. When you live it, it creates it. So it sounds like it's almost diametrically opposed to what therapists would tell you if you're down you need to find things that lift you up and be positive, and then you can share that energy. No, that, that's, that's exactly what we're saying. Well, but I mean, even if you're not, it's a psych thing where you say, I am fine, I am good, I am well, I am blah, blah, blah. You know, you tell yourself all this positive stuff, and then hopefully you become that. But you're saying, no, it's the action. You need to have an action first or a mitzvot or something to create that. I don't know if you, I'm, yeah, saying the same that the therapist, I'm saying the same thing that the therapist would say. Okay. And that is that if you're feeling down, do something. You yes. are going to naturally not want to do something. Do something. If you're feeling down, do something. I'm Kabbalah is taking it a step further and saying, if you're feeling down, do a mitzvah. And that positive action is going to reverberate with your ethereal body. Got it. And as a result, it's going to create that positive aura. Was there another question that I missed? Rabbi, I have a little bit of a question, maybe a lot. Um, and it's probably going to be like a 30 second or less answer. Um, so I've been thinking about the messianic era, and I know that my knowledge is limited on that because, you know, I probably know more about the Christian view of that. Um, and then the Ayan Hara, I hope I have that right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so like, this is all interconnected to that, that we have to control that and like what we envision, um, that's what happens. And so that is what elevates the world into the world that we want to live in. Is that correct? I have a that's thousand correct. thoughts running through my head. So. I mean, I, I, that sounds good to me. Okay, I, mean, I just wanted to make sure I was kind of putting it all together correctly. So let's let's try to connect this to the afterlife. Okay. 
not necessarily, Kelsey, your question, but the whole idea here. Because I think that, see, it's very easy for us to start talking about, oh, positive vibes, positive feelings, positive energy, uh, you know, versus, let's see, what Kelsey was saying, Ayn Hara, maybe, you know, uh, a negative vibe, uh, a negative energy. But let's just take the positive and the negative out of this for a second. The nature of the afterlife body, the nature of the afterlife body that the soul assumes is a direct reflection of our actions here on earth. The outer behavioral projections become a person's spiritual body in the afterlife. Cheryl, I'll say that again. The outer behavioral projections become a person's spiritual body in the afterlife. So when people who have uh, encountered an NDE, a a near-death experience, when they speak of an ethereal body that is perfect, a body where they'll say without pain, without uh, paralysis, it can be assumed that the creator of this body was good. Once the soul divests itself from the corporeal and it enters this insubstantial form and journeys on with this body in the initial stages of the afterlife, then you could see that that moment that NDE shows that that particular person was really a good person. You see, the ethereal body has no coarse representation. So it's barely discernible. So those people who, let's say, suggest that the body is a a particle or a wave-like energy system, that has not yet been detected by any quantifiable measure, right? Some people have actually given this energy field a name. They call it uh, pistrons, right? Is that what it's called? Citrons? What are you talking about? What is it? Is that the in-between life and afterlife? I've heard the term theta agents before. No, I never heard that. Okay. But since since it hasn't been seen, just calling them a name doesn't make them any more real as if they were nameless. So either way, the goof doc, this ethereal body, is a life form that is, for the most part, undetectable to the physical eye. And yet... Sometimes people do get a glimpse of that reality and occasionally even more than a glimpse. I'll tell you a story. There's a story in the Talmud that after his passing, Rabbi Yehuda would appear every Friday evening in his ethereal life form and recite the Kiddush over a cup of wine for his family. This is a story in the Talmud. 
Now, according to this, you could see how somebody can exist and make the Kiddush. He didn't come back in a physical life force. We're not, uh, you know, starting to, to, all of a sudden, Rabbi Yehuda in his physical life form started coming back into the world after he passed away. We're, we're not going there, okay? There's other religions that talk about the second comings. That's not for us. But if you see this goof doc, this corporeal body in that form, then you can understand how someone who passed away can really be here now. That souls that become apparent in four-dimensional reality need to conform somewhat to the rules of this reality. And so they enter a type of body so that they can interact with physical human beings. I'll tell you this, many apparently sane, I'm gonna use this caveat, people have reported sensing a presence of someone who has pre previously passed away. Even more, some even speak of seeing a presence of someone who's no longer amongst the living. Now, while the definition of seeing is sometimes difficult to define, but it appears as if there's an apparition of some kind of human form in that scene. And occasionally it seems even as if the dead person is suspended over a gathering or even over their own funeral. Some of this phenomena, though not all, can be scientifically explained and substantiated. That's not for our conversation, but it may also be a case in which a soul, or in some instances, an angelic figure, descends and enwraps itself within what we're gonna call this guftak, this ethereal body. And it becomes noticeable by those who experience a degree of heightened awareness. And by embodying this ethereal body, the soul of the person who passed away can become readily perceivable, so much so that their appearance seems as if the real observer is there, literally with them on the floor they're standing on. If you've never experienced it, obviously, it's hard to really even make any sense of this. But there are people, I've heard this from, like I'm telling you, from relatively sane individuals. Jill, please. So, is there anywhere in the Kabbalah or that it's so, if, if someone has led a relatively pessimistic life, mm. not been so nice or good, and now they're at this point, they're at the end of their life or towards the end and, and they make a shift. Like, is there a percentage? Is there like, well, if you've lived most of your life lousy, too bad. Or is this like, oh, the last days, years, whatever, 
there can be a shift and it can have an impact or is it like <laughs> why bother i have very good news for you joe yes we believe in judaism in this idea of teshuva teshuva means the moment an individual makes a change in their life all of their previous negative experiences turn into positive ones which means on their deathbed, if they make that change towards positivity, their entire life will turn into virtue. So and I remember hearing this before from you. Um, I, I guess this piggybacks on my other question of like, can, you know, if you are generally not a positive person or doing good things can is this like a fake it till you make it you're like listen i'm just going to act as if i'm going to do these you know you've said if you do a mitzvah even if it's not coming from the right place it's still benefiting hopefully somebody so it doesn't really matter what your motivation is as much i think that's why we we put so much emphasis on on actions over words right because actions do benefit others so whether you have the wrong or right intention, they're really benefiting. That's why a mitzvah is not a good intention. It's an action. Yeah. Okay. And there's really means, not... Um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, because, no, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, oh, well, you know, there's no, you know, oh, I go on Yom Kippur and there's confession. The moment you make a resolution to make a change and you actually can do the action and make that change that's it all of the past turns to be good okay because that could have been the purpose for which your soul came into this world yeah I, I, and all of the negativity and all of the the garbage so to speak that you've gone through not you but that individual has gone through in their life was all a lead up to this moment of existential change called teshuva. They did that teshuva. And as a result of that teshuva, they were able to realize the purpose for which they were created. And so therefore all those things and negativity led up to that. So that all becomes virtue. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, conversations with, you know, some people I'm thinking to try to explain this or to, you know, who are closer to death than hopefully I am or any of us. So I, this is interesting, I guess, to just figure out how to approach that. Yeah. So. Cheryl. Thank you. You're muted, Cheryl. Somebody can I'm hear thinking, you. I got it. I'm thinking of non-Jewish or even Jewish people. Let's say they had all this learning and all this training prior, but in their life, they struggled so much that they always stole for their food. They stole money or jewelry. They were cleaning people. They killed people. They whatever. Then that almost sounds like a knock, knock, knock on the confessional door of the Catholics and say, their father, I have sinned. What have you sinned? And they give him a laundry list. Okay, you're now absolved. That's almost what this sounds like. And I didn't think it was very Jewish. 
it's not that, that that's that's it's actually it's actually not even close to it because nobody can absolve you only you can absolve yourself how do you absolve yourself through your actions through making a decision not to do it again and then not doing it again my time as a prison chaplain it was something i tried to impart on the prisoners mm -hmm. nobody can absolve you and very often because we live in a Christian society, a lot of people say, oh, you know, please rabbi, uh, you know, can you uh, do such and such? And I'm like, no, you gotta go down the block for that. That's not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is that you absolve yourself. Okay. So those people that reform themselves in prison by learning to read, by helping others in the prison and they follow the whole prison rules, even though they are enslaved, so to speak, then sometimes don't get that chance to really prove that they've changed because then parole comes up and they go, nope, can't do it, nope. You know, whatever the justice system is, it's not always fair. I guess we shouldn't follow that road so that we oh, get there. I can tell you that often prison is a place of existential change. I'm sure it is. I'm sure there are those who have that difficulty that you were talking about, but often it is a place of existential change. And, and lots of time to think. And we're all in our own, we're all in our own prisons. And so we all have an opportunity yeah. to find that change and to do that chuba and to say, today, starting today, at this moment, through my actions, my life will be different. I'm not gonna do what I did before. Fini, fini. Any other questions before we go to a little takeaway, little golden nugget? Okay, I love to uh, hear your takeaway. If you don't have a specific takeaway, I'll give you a prompt today. I now know that. Jill, do you want to start? Yeah, that was a good prompt. Yeah, I now know that it's never too late. Mm. I'll pass to Kelsey. Thank you, Jill. Um, I'm still trying to process, I feel like, a little bit. Um, but I think it kind of just boils down to the reciprocation between our roof duck and our physical body. And how that's just a reflection, right? Of each yes. other. Okay. Um, how about Celeste or Hava? Thanks, Kelsey. I now know that inherent in every moment is an opportunity. Uh, Ilana. I, I really, I find this very positive because um, I don't know if it was Jill who said it, it's in our hands at any time. I'm not so sure that I taught tied so much to the um, near death experience, you know? Um, I like to think of it as much more important 
for when you're alive <laughs> and not for, you know, death, really. Yeah. Cheryl, did you go? Did we all? No. Okay, go ahead. I think you all said it so great that your prompt, Rabbi, was something I would say that Jill said, but you capsulized it so well. It's never too late. And I was going to, you know, I'm just thinking, okay, it's time to make changes and be more in that positive mode by acting differently so that I'm in control of that change. I'm, I'm really happy this is your takeaway. And Alana, I'm happy with what you said as well. Because the point of learning this is not to, because of the fascination with the afterlife, but rather so that we can live a better life in this world. And so I'm happy that these are the takeaways, that they're positive takeaways. And somehow when we speak about morbid things, somehow we, we get this idea that they're negative, but it's not negative, it's very positive. And it also allows us to, to think about our lives in this world and what we can do about it. So I'm happy that that's the, I now know that this was a good message and well-received. Okay. Thank you. It's, it's great to be back. Yes, great to have you back. Yeah, great to have you back and see you. It's wonderful. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting back into the, uh, the routine of our study. Yes. Sounds great. We got it. We did Me stage too. four. How many stages are there? Just so I know that I don't forget anything. I will. Um, but... <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll know at the end how many stages there are. Oh, okay. Have a good day, everybody. Yeah, have a great day. Bye. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye.